0: Hi folks and welcome back to another episode of Know You Better, the podcast that asks the questions you only think you know the answer to. This week I'm talking to Debbie Hart. And just a little content warning here before we start, Uh, the topic we'll be discussing goes pretty in-depth into eating disorders, just so you know before listening any further. Uh, Debbie is a psychotherapist who specializes in treating patients with eating disorders. It's something of a personal area for Debbie who suffered with such a disorder for several years, starting in her teen years as a gymnast and continuing on into her 20s, but uh, happily has come out the other side happy and healthy. I chatted with Debbie about her experiences, about life with an eating disorder, the kind of treatment she provides today, as well as finding out about the charity her family have set up to help out other families in similar situations. So here's my chat with Debbie. Debbie. I hope it's informative. So, Debbie, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Um, I just wanted to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Um, my name is Debbie Hard. I am a psychotherapist. Um, I suppose I am slightly different to most because I have kind of been on both sides of the mental health fence. hmm Um, I suffered with anorexia when I was younger and going through my own treatment sort of fell into realizing that this is the job that I want to do the way that I had worked with my own therapist Mm -hmm. had changed if not saved my life and I realized that I wanted to do that for other people and luckily had by chance done a degree in psychology and so halfway through my own treatment started to pursue some training in counseling and I now treat people with eating disorders. So okay. kind of come full circle. Uh-huh,
0: uh-huh. So I, that is your um, I had a look on your website and it mentions all the, the types of uh, situation that you would that you would treat. Mm-hmm. Um, but would it, would it be do, do you specialize in treating people with eating disorders?
1: Yeah, Um. as a therapist, you would be qualified to treat general a lot of general issues like anxiety and depression and mm-hmm. um, but eating disorders are very complex
2: mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so
1: I've done a lot of specialized training to go on to allow me to kind of really focus on treating people with eating disorders there and um, they need to be managed very carefully because they obviously have a you know they come with huge medical risks mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you have to have a good knowledge of the impact on the body and the medical complications you also have to Understand nutrition and dietetics, mm-hmm. um, and be able to work alongside people who can support in those areas. Okay. Um So I had to do kind of a lot of additional training to specialize in eating disorders.
0: Okay. And apologies if this question sounds a little silly, um, but is there, a, say, a textbook definition of of an eating disorder? You know, or, or is it? Does it cover a, a broad spectrum?
1: Um, I would say they're very broad, but very similar, mm-hmm. all types of, eat- so our, the main three types of eating disorders would be anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating disorder.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So in presentation, they're all quite different, mm-hmm. but they would have similarities in symptoms where food becomes a major preoccupation for the person. They're to the point of they're almost obsessed with it. Think about it constantly. The food rules their life and mm-hmm. um, causes a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety and a lot of brings a lot of pain and difficulty into the person's life. Mm-hmm. Also causes difficulties within the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go to extremes around food, whether that's avoiding food or overeating food mm-hmm. There's, uh, or getting rid of food. There's a lot of very extreme and compensatory types of behaviors, and um, so although they're very different, they all, they all have a massive impact on the individual's life in quite similar mm-hmm. ways.
0: Okay, okay, um, and sort of uh, facts and figures wise, would how many people would, would struggle with an eating disorder in Northern Ireland?
1: Um, figures for Northern Ireland are um difficult to come by mm-hmm. there was figures released recently which suggested that in 2018 2019 over 500 people were diagnosed with an eating disorder i would imagine that the real number is a lot higher than that mm-hmm. Um, the nice guidelines figures are that 1.6 million people in the uk suffer from an eating disorder right. um when I'm have nothing else to do with my time. I have worked this out in re- in relation to Northern Ireland, and it works mm-hmm. out about forty four thousand people. Right. But um, the problem with eating disorders is that they they're still a very secretive illness, and they're still being a mental health illness. And mm-hmm. um, they still have a lot of shame attached to them. Um, and aside from anorexia, which is very visible. Mm-hmm. A lot of people with eating disorders aren't noticeable. They don't. They don't look different, and they don't right, right, look right. like anorexics would look. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and of all the all the types of eating disorders, anorexia is the smallest percentage, the highest percentage of of eating disorders binge eating. So a lot oh, of okay. people with eating disorders could be average or even over slightly overweight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not easy always to spot. Yeah. Um, and there's still a lot of shame around talking to someone about your relationship with food mm-hmm. um, going to the doctor to say I make myself sick or I take laxatives its difficult for people to do mm-hmm. um, and especially males. Um, so probably the number of people who suffer with eating disorders is a lot higher than we know because mm-hmm. a lot of people won't come forward for help.
0: Won't, won't. I suppose it's not admitting that you have a problem but as I mm-hmm. say yeah. it's about breaking, uh, the phrase you always hear is breaking the stigma of yeah. mental illness I guess. Yeah not not that one is worse than the other but you know it, it's it, as i say you want to keep it secret you want yeah. to again i don't know i don't have personal experience but yeah. it is a yeah I, i'm i'm sort of talking to myself in circles here but yeah i i i understand what you mean because dealing with depression uh again no personal yeah. experience but as i've heard you know just so hard to actually admit it yeah. even to yourself rather than other people so yeah, yeah
1: that's... And a big part of the illness involves denial. It's a symptom mm-hmm. of the illness where they're very much in denial about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's a lot of yeah. times, especially with anorexia, the, the individual suffering, they don't want to change. They don't want to get better. Um, so it's it can be difficult for people to spot unless there's very obvious mm-hmm. symptoms. And um, for individuals that are struggling with it, they don't always feel able to come forward. It, it's... Of all the mental health disorders, eating disorders has the highest death rate. That's higher than depression, mm-hmm. schizophrenia, everything. It is the highest death rate. It's a very complex and very difficult illness, um, but it's probably the most misunderstood because to everyone on the outside, it seems so easy—just mm-hmm. eat, and then yeah. you'll get better. Yeah, I don't understand why you won't just eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer seems really simple, but. <clears throat> The problem is that eating disorders are actually nothing to do with food. Right. They Food is kind of like the symptom of an underlying issue. So sometimes I would describe it to my clients as, you know, if you go to the doctor with a cough and he gives you strepsils, Mm -hmm. it's not going to solve the problem if the actual problem is a chest infection.
0: Right. Okay. So, you
1: know, the cough is kind of the symptom of a chest infection, just Mm -hmm. as food or refusing food or overeating food is a symptom of... Of the eating disorder, but okay. they're not eating disorders are not actually to do with food.
0: Right, right, right. Okay, okay. So they're yeah. very misunderstood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I say it. I I imagine most people, and myself included, are are largely ignorant of what yeah. it involves. Yeah. Um, because as you say, you know, if you do hear often when and when when somebody has an eating disorder, somebody will say, you know, it's just a matter of not eating. Yeah. And even coming from my, my position, it's like, well, no, that's... Yeah. I mean, even I know that's not, not the case. Um, can you... If, if you're happy to, mm-hmm. um, can you tell me what, what it was like for you going yeah. through this? Um, yeah. Was it from age 12 About 12, or so? yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I was gymnast, so there was um, a lot of focus on your body. And, you know, we competed in the leotards and... Um, and the more kind of competitive I got at it, mm-hmm. and the higher up I got, um, the more there was a focus. And we started to get weighed in training a lot. And um, we had a Russian coach, which probably didn't really help. Cause she couldn't really explain. She just used to say, don't eat. Right, right,
2: right. You know,
1: and, and obviously I would come home to my mom and dad and say, I don't, she's tell me not to eat. And mm-hmm. they would be like, no, no, she means like, don't eat buns and cakes you know but you've got to eat things to fuel your training like Uh pasta and all this so for a while I guess I sort of accepted that but um after a while I kind of had the personality traits of someone who would go on to get anorexia I was a perfectionist and I was quite competitive and quite ambitious and I worked really hard and I wanted to be the best and so I was kind of coming up to um British Championships and thought I'm gonna She's telling me, like, I need to lose weight here and maybe if I lose weight, I'll win and mm-hmm. I'll do better and lost weight and won, mm-hmm. so, which almost reinforced it in my head. Like, yeah, this yeah. is great. I lost weight and suddenly I'm better. And, and it's I guess it started out with just kind of, you know, the bad foods, like cakes and crisps and sweets and mm-hmm. things like that. And then it sort of gradually just became more and more. And and as an eating disorder takes hold, it, it, it's it's almost like, um you call it, in the clinical world, we call it the anorexic voice. Mm-hmm. It's like a voice in your head that's kind of telling you what to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it has rules that you have to follow. So today, the only thing you're allowed to eat is X, Y, and Z. You're not to go over that. If you do, if you do go over that, or you cave and you give in, you get kind of completely beaten up with like you're pathetic, you're disgusting, you're so greedy and fat, you can't do anything right. Mm-hmm. You're a disgrace. That's right. Go and do you know five mile run to make up for. Right, what you're okay. there this is not acceptable so it's very punishing it's a very punishing voice it's very critical um and it's just relentless it's there all the time um and not just about food and eating and how you look but about everything you're not good enough at school you're not good enough as a daughter you're a rubbish friend you're right, right, right. everybody deserves better than you all of this sort of stuff and um, and it sort of chatters away in your brain but what makes it really confusing is that it just sounds like your own thoughts. It's not like mm-hmm. a creepy monster voice. Yeah, yeah. You know, it just sounds like your own thoughts. So okay. you don't realize really that anything's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, you know, the roles get more strict and you can eat less and less. And yeah, ha- I had to sort of exercise more and more. Um, and that was kind of the restrictive side of it. it sort of happened right up until I gave up gymnastics. Mm-hmm. And, then when i gave up gymnastics i i wasn't really sure what to do I, I, because i trained at quite an elite level then mm-hmm. so there was a big hole in my life that i wasn't really sure what other people did with mm-hmm. their time and i began to sort of think well this is great now that i'm not training i can eat what i want and do what i want and and i went from being very underweight to kind of probably somewhere close to normal mm-hmm. weight but just couldn't cope with it at all i'd felt kind of completely obese when I was underweight and so I gained weight and just couldn't cope at all right. um but it kind of then moved in from being kind of just pure restriction into kind of um I would eat and then throw up everything I ate. um and over exercise and and so that sort of led into a different cycle where I, I, I it was really chaotic and messy and mm-hmm. I kind of tried to eat well or be normal and eat what other people ate, but I just couldn't cope with food being in my body and had to get rid of it and was taking laxatives. And, um, and I guess that's when mum and dad sort of twigged on that something was wrong. I was always able to cover it. Mm-hmm. Eating disorders make people very deceitful and you lie and you become really manipulative because mm-hmm. you're so scared that someone's going to see what you're doing and make you gain weight and make you get fat. Right, so right. you lie about everything. Um, and up until that point, I'd been able to say, Oh, it's only because it's gymnastics it's only because i train so much i just have to do this because i've got this competition coming up and then it'll be fine and to a degree i think they bought it mm-hmm. but in another way i think they knew something wasn't right but i mean you know this was kind of 20 years ago so huh. they didn't <clears throat> there wasn't a lot known okay you yeah, know, yeah and there wasn't really the internet wasn't really about so uh. um they didn't really think anything of it mm-hmm. um until i gave up gymnastics i was in sixth form and just really struggled and they found my mum found um laxatives in Miss Go Bag one day and sort of was like, Right, enough's enough.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: You need to tell us what's going on. So I was um taken to my doctor and um referred for some help but it help here was in its infancy and was pretty appalling. Yeah. So after a couple of sessions I just refused to go back Mm -hmm. um which is you know it's unfortunate when I think back now I think if if I had have got the help at 17 that I needed might have saved me you know a good few years Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. being miserable um but I didn't so after after that I went to uni and kind of somehow plowed on and um it was a new experience because I lived then with kind of just normal girls it wasn't Mm -hmm. gymnasts it wasn't people who did what I did it wasn't there was no real focus on food or your body or it was just regular people mm-hmm. and in a way it was it was kind of really eye-opening to me I just can't believe that people just ate stuff and didn't care Right, right okay. um or didn't feel the need to like then go and burn it off and mm-hmm. punish themselves for it um so that was kind of I, I mean I, I watched them be normal I wasn't able to be normal mm-hmm. um and then following uni I moved to London for a little bit um and there it really spiralled out of control because I was really miserable. I hated living in London. I was really unhappy. I really missed home. Mm-hmm. Plus, I had no one around me watching what I was doing. So
2: right, okay, I yeah. could get
1: away with whatever I wanted, mm-hmm. which was everything. So I was doing everything, kind of eating, purging, over exercising, um, restricting and just really, really got into a really unhappy place. Mm-hmm. Um, and by this stage, I mean, it had been going on for ten years. Um, and it's, you know, it's exhausting physically. You're mm-hmm. you're trying to get through every day on minimal amounts of calories and, you know, purposely burning off going to the gym and not leaving until I'd burnt X amount of calories. Mm-hmm. Um, so physically I was exhausted and emotionally I was exhausted because, you know, the, the anorexic voice is just, it's just relentless. It's uh-huh. just constantly beating you up, constantly... Saying that you've you've not done enough, you're not good enough, you're too fat, you need to do this, you need to do that. If you just do that, then everything will be okay. If you just lose this this amount of weight, then you'll be happy. Mm -hmm. And it just never happens and it never comes. And um, I was just exhausted and phoned my mum one night and said, I need help. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't bear the thought. I was 22 and I just thought, I can't live like this for another 60 years. I can't, you know... I'm going to oh. die when I'm eating. I just cannot, yeah. I cannot bear to live like this is awful. Mm-hmm. I can't do this. Like, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and they luckily sourced me somewhere to go in London as an outpatient. Um, and, and like most clients and like all my own clients, I went in saying, OK, I really want to get better, but I don't want to eat. I don't want to stop being sick. I don't mm. want to stop going to the gym. I don't want to gain weight. You know, and, and that's a big, big feature of eating disorders is kind of this conflict of, I don't want to live like this, but I can't give it up. Okay, and yeah. um, eating disorders provide a lot of functions for people. So they become very important. You know, if, if if you think about how miserable somebody's life is with an eating disorder, for them to choose to hold on to it, they must be getting something pretty big out of it. Okay, Which, yeah. again, is not not something that people understand about eating disorders, mm-hmm. that to the person, that eating disorder has huge benefits. Okay. Yeah. They just can't bear giving up. They just can't bear to give up. So Uh um so I lived in London and I saw the therapist as an outpatient um for a while. But in going into therapy you start to you start to get to the root cause of what is causing the eating disorder, the the functions that it's providing for you, Mm -hmm. um how it's come about, your real feelings instead of, you know, a lot of the time in a very basic level eating disorders can be seen as a as a distraction from emotions so people with eating disorders tend to have they tend to be quite high in iq intelligence but they tend to be quite low in emotional intelligence and right. emotions would very easily overwhelm them they would okay. feel they're very sensitive people so they would feel mm-hmm. emotions very strongly um and sometimes eating disorders can help them avoid very difficult or painful emotions Mm. so you know if you think about the eating disorder chatter in your brain so there's there's a constant for me anyway there was a constant stream of calorie counting so like, right? You got up this morning, you had an apple, that's 83 calories, you walked to school, someone offered you this, you you took a little bit, how much was that bite? We'll just round it up to 200 calories, just in case it was that, so that's 283 calories, but you walked here and you did X amount of sit-ups, so you probably burnt off 100, so I'm down to 183 calories. So this sort of chatter goes on all day, all day, all night, counting calories, how much have I burnt, how much have I eaten? It's constant, constant thinking, plus all the, you're fat, you're ugly, you're horrible, you're... You know, so you've got a busy, busy mind, Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: but that kind of serves the purpose of keeping you completely distracted from feeling from anything that you're feeling. Right. Okay. So it's like it's emotional avoidance, you know, Uh and it helps you avoid difficult feelings. But when you go into therapy, you're then kind of getting into the feelings that you've been trying to avoid. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So a lot of the time in therapy, people would get worse before they get better because they're then dealing with these painful feelings, and their reaction is to grab onto the thing mm-hmm. that was helping them cope, which is their right. eating disorder. Okay. So their symptoms and their eating disorder tends to get worse before it gets better.
2: Right, right, right.
1: So kind of halfway through my therapy, that kind of happened to me,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, the psychiatrist had asked my parents to come over, and told them just that I needed to come home. My heart was the only muscle left working and there was a risk of me having a cardiac arrest out in in the streets of London and they didn't think that it was safe for me to be on my own over there. So my parents were terrified because there was really no eating disorder service here. I was actually safer in London, Mm -hmm. close to the hospitals that were there rather than come home. But um, eventually I came home and the trusts here funded me to Continue with my treatment in London because they had nothing here to okay. offer me. Uh-huh. So then I had to fly every Wednesday At like 7 in the morning drove to Aldergrove got a flight to London got across London mm-hmm. did a 50-minute appointment
0: right, And okay. came all the way
1: home, you know kind of at my sickest yeah, I had uh-huh. to kind of trips across the place because there was just nothing here to okay. for me to go to so But I mean I was I was really lucky. I was one of the few that then at that time got access to help and Something. Yeah, funding yeah. and they funded me to keep going with the work that I'd already started and and without it like I wouldn't be doing, certainly wouldn't be doing what I do I don't know uh-huh. if I actually was in here so uh-huh. I'm really grateful for for that yeah. but you know it shouldn't have to be that way
0: Yeah and what you mentioned earlier that the the services here were appalling at the time mm-hmm. like why, why was that is, is treatment for eating disorders relatively new within within the, the, the trusts?
1: Um new within ours maybe okay yeah yeah, the the model model that our charity has brought over Mm -hmm. when we when we went to find out more about that their first eating disorder ward specific ward for eating disorder treatment was opened 30 years ago right we still don't have an eating disorder ward we don't have a specific ward or beds or unit Uh for eating disorder treatment so you know we're a good bit behind where we need to be uh And, and like Saying that services are better now than they were when I was sick. Mm-hmm. But they're still not what we need. They're right, still okay. they still like most things, I guess, you know, there's huge waiting lists. There's not enough. And, and the problem with eating disorders is that unless they're like any illness, the longer they're left mm-hmm. until they're treated, the, the harder they are to treat. Right, okay. So the more entrenched they become, the more that voice gets a grip on the person, mm-hmm. the harder the behaviors are to change and and you know for our services here unfortunately i mean they have to prioritize who's the sickest but that means that someone going to the doctor at still a pretty safe weight Mm -hmm. is effectively told you're not sick enough
0: to get treatment yeah Uh so
1: off they pop and go in this kind of downward spiral and Uh you know when actually it's like everything early prevention is better Mm -hmm. and if you can get someone at that really early stage that the chances of full recovery are much higher and the person's prognosis is much better
0: okay okay uh, so you mentioned um do you say you, your, your charity there can you tell me mm-hmm. how, how that came about is it is, is it fight ed is that yep, okay you can you tell me how that came about
1: yeah um we when i was sick my parents didn't really have anywhere to go mm-hmm. again services here were really non-existent there was one support group that they attended once a month, um, but aside from that, they really didn't have. They didn't re- understand what in were. Mm-hmm. They didn't, and again, you know, with no access really to the internet, they there wasn't yeah. information the way we can get it now. So they really didn't know what was going on. And um, I think the, my GP had recommended a book, and they bought a book, and that was really all
2: mm-hmm. that
1: they had. Um, so a years, a couple of years after I was recovered, we became aware of this course called the new multi-model Mm -hmm. and it's a course that's it's two day course that's specifically designed for just parents and carers to attend
2: okay
1: um and it kind of gives them it educates them about eating disorders what they are a lot of this kind of stuff that we're talking about Mm -hmm. um helping them understand that it's not just about making them sit at the table and eat food and what might be going on in their mind it helps rebuild relationships because eating disorders tend to bring a lot of conflict into the house it shuts relationships down breaks relationships up Mm -hmm. it's very very destructive within the family Mm -hmm. um so it teaches a lot of communication skills it teaches the psychology of change how to promote recovery the kind of the do's and don'ts the best way to support their loved one um and so we became aware of this course and just thought this is this is exactly what parents, this is exactly what parents need. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's been delivered in London for 25 years, but uh-huh. it's never, ever been delivered here before. And this is this is life change for, for parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sort of thought, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Even when someone's in therapy, they, they see their therapist for 50 minutes a week. And all of those other hours and minutes, uh-huh. they're at home with you their know. family. So makes so much more sense to educate the family on how to do it Mm -hmm. so everybody can kind of approach it the same way and with the same understanding and you know support each other Mm -hmm. so it was just like it was a no-brainer for us really um we um i to be quite honest i don't even know how we set up a charity it just (laughs) happened (laughs) my brother cycled across america and raised a whole load of money Mm -hmm. and we just kind of set up a charity and i kind of got me the chairperson and mm-hmm. we, so, we thought with our money what we want to do is bring the founder of the Modsley course over here
2: mm-hmm.
1: so that we can be taught so that we can continually roll it out
2: okay yeah so
1: we brought her over and she trained myself and a few facilitators um and we've been rolling out the Modsley course then since since then
2: so
0: okay yeah it, I, I was uh, when I was doing a bit of research I noticed there's one is there one coming up quite yeah, soon? End March, 20th, yeah, end of March, twenty eighth, twenty of March. Okay, so is that um, you just put these on every every so often and invite parents and carers to come to come yeah. down if if they are yeah. in this situation. Okay, and it, is it. You said it was a two day course.
1: Yeah, Saturday and Sunday.
0: Okay, so, I, I mean I say, it seems yeah. strange that that wasn't available before. Yeah. If oh my goodness, for twenty five years and across the way. I know, and
1: it's. You know, and it, we tend to think that for us it's, you know, a postcode lottery, but actually we've had people from England fly over to attend our courses because oh really? services there are, you know, in Newcastle, and we're doing two courses this year in Newcastle upon Tyne. They've asked uh-huh. us over again, we were over last year, because they're in the same, very similar position to us where services are just, there's very little mm-hmm. for the people who have eating disorders, but then even less for the parents and carers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we tend to roll them out every every couple of months, okay. every few months in different places. We do Belfast in Dublin and this year we're doing two in England. So awesome.
0: okay. so obviously for, from that, um, a, a support network, you know, mm-hmm. close by is is crucial, I would, I would imagine. I mean, yeah. I should say, it, although you were um, living in London, you know, closer to better services, yeah. you know, you were essentially on your in own at that yeah. stage. So yeah, I mean, yeah, family is very to,
1: much seen as part of the solution, part of the recovery, recovery yeah. it, that you need. It's like any other illness, you mm-hmm. know. You need people around you to help out. How sometimes I describe it to the parents is, you know, that the fight that goes on in your head when you're trying to recover is, if you imagine the sort of voices like this big bully mm-hmm. inside your head and. But there's a little tiny voice that's their their voice. Uh uh And their voice needs to get better and stronger. And they need to kind of learn to fight back against the eating disorder. Mm -hmm. They need a lot of support to do that. Because a lot of times the eating disorder wins. Or, Uh you know, I remember myself thinking, right, tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to do it. Tomorrow I'm going to just eat this, this and this. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to throw anything up. And I'm just going to do it. And then you get up and then you go to sit down to eat it. And you're just kind of met with this. What do you think you're doing?
2: Right. Do not okay. eat
1: that. You're disgusting. You're so fat. Have you seen yourself? And mm-hmm. you know, so you have good intentions, but you're kind of bullied. Yeah. You know this uh-huh. bullying voice. So you need a lot of support there to be able to say, you know, we know that you want to get well, and this is how we get well. And we're here to help. And mm-hmm. um,
0: it's <clears throat> uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but could could you say is it is it a fair assessment to say that um, an eating disorder could be analogous to something like anxiety? But to the nth degree you know you're, yeah. you're just constantly piling on yeah. more and more i guess shame upon yourself you know it's anxiety on its own and yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's fairly debilitating but then if, you, mm-hmm. if you're doing something physical as well if you, if you are purging you know yeah. it's just it seems say, re- yeah. Yeah, um, i should say relentless is that a fair assessment to, to yeah, say yeah
1: it, it's probably an anxiety disorder in some ways uh-huh. you know uh-huh. and the but the eating disorder behaviours are a way of managing the anxiety, if you know what I mean. Okay, yeah. So it keeps yeah. you busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. you're not connecting with the, you're disconnecting from the feelings okay. of being anxious or yes. not good enough or, you know, people with eating disorders tend to, um, probably 100% of them, would suffer from very low self-esteem, mm-hmm. feeling like at a very deep level, very inadequate as a person, I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, And so they strive for perfection all the time, almost right. to kind of, Prove to themselves that they are good enough. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If I just get it straight A's, then that means I'm good enough because that's straight A's. Mm-hmm. If I just get the perfect house or the perfect this or the perfect, then I'm good enough. Uh-huh. It's all. It's like a defense against this okay. kind of chronic sense of I'm not good enough.
0: Uh-huh. So, um, so it, it, it's not so much uh, say what have I written down here. It's, it's not so much improving your relationship with food, but it's you're just getting your head straight. Rather,
1: yeah, you definitely need. You need all of it. You know, okay. Yeah. The, the problem with and and I'm talking mostly here about anorexia. Um. The problem with anorexia and restrictive behaviours is mm-hmm. that when you restrict, physical changes happen in your brain. So when you become underweight and you're eating not enough calories to support what your body needs to do your body has no option but to find other ways to get energy mm-hmm. so it starts basically to metabolize itself it starts to eat itself so it'll eat the muscles it'll burn up the muscle right, okay. which is like your heart and uh-huh. your brain and your you know your muscles around your body and mm-hmm. um, so there's this is where the medical complications come in so people then would have to be under the care of medical professionals to have their heart rate monitored, they would end up with very weak hearts mm-hmm. because a lot of the muscle has been used up when your body metabolizes the brain, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's eating up parts of your brain. So when you're losing parts of your brain, you're losing functions. Right. Okay. So what happens is that when a person becomes st- in a state of starvation and overweight people can be in a state of starvation and underweight people, but there's changes that happen within the brain that make it very difficult for them to get out of. So they become more rigid. Mm-hmm. They become really poor at decision making and being flexible and planning.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And their impulse, or uh, their obsessions and compulsions increase. Their emotional avoidance increases. So all of the things that they lose mm-hmm. are are things that they need to get well. So they need to be able to Uh be flexible. They need to be able to plan food and make changes and make decisions. And But they lose a lot of those capabilities. Uh And the things that increase when when we're in a state of starvation are things that keep them stuck. So they Mm -hmm. become more emotionally avoidant. Their compulsions increase. Their threat sense of threat increases. So everything that's making it worse Mm -hmm. increases and everything they need to get better decreases. So the actual physical changes in the brain can't be repaired until the person's also then nutritionally restored. Right. So it creates this kind of vicious circle where you need the psychological help in order to feel able to eat, mm-hmm. but you need to eat in order for the psychological right, okay. changes to work, if yeah. you know what i mean. No, no, absolutely, So it's really that this the, the, they're super complex. Yeah, oh my goodness. So yeah, you could, I mean if someone's in a state of starvation and their you know their brain has been compromised in this way, you could do all the therapy in the world, but it will not work until their brain's also nutritionally restored. Uh-huh. So they do have to go hand in hand. But effectively, what you're saying is true. Someone, in my opinion, could get better from an eating disorder never really having to talk about food. Okay. As
0: okay. long as they're medically safe. Right, okay. Okay. Um, is... And again, t- tell me if, if this is this is too personal. Mm-hmm. Is... um. Is it an ongoing process? Like say, say yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it goes on for years and years after after you finish.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, yeah, it's sometimes I would describe recovery as like you've been in a corset, you know, and the laces have been pulled really, really tight and recovery kind of is like the loosening really, really slowly of those laces over time where things just kind of ease up. Mm -hmm. the rules become less rigid you're able to break them every now and again then suddenly you look back and think i haven't done that in ages or i Mm -hmm. "I haven't thought Mm -hmm. i was fat in a really long time or like a week or Mm -hmm. something like that um and even after you you go on you know when you're nutritionally restored and weight restored and then psychologically restored you do go on kind of learning more and more when you undergo the process of therapy you can never you don't ever lose the ability to be aware of yourself mm-hmm. so you continue to go on kind of with self-awareness and gaining self-awareness okay. uh-huh. um, but yeah it's, it's a very long very slow kind of process it takes a long pe- a long time for people to get well again and you know even I'd been well for a very long time but when I was getting married I put myself back into therapy because I was aware that I was going to want to get pregnant uh-huh. and wasn't sure about how that might be for me Mm -hmm. because i mean you know things that happen to your body are completely out of your control i wasn't sure but you know i was kind of aware enough of myself to think this could be this could maybe be difficult for me i'm not sure how i'm going to feel about this Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but i mean it turned out it was it was absolutely fine i'd Mm -hmm. love to Mm -hmm. be pregnant but you know you do have a lot of you are aware of like is this gonna am i gonna find this strange or funny but but in terms of is full recovery possible i think it absolutely is Mm -hmm. it doesn't Mm -hmm. It doesn't come into my life at all now. I don't feel fat. I no. I don't look at myself and think that I'm fat. Yeah. If you know, along the way up and up until this point, there's been times where I'll maybe wake up and think, "Oh, I'm so fat," and then I'll sort of catch myself on and think, mm-hmm. "What is going on here? What are no, you know? Okay. Like, what are you feeling?" You know, these little mantras that are put in our brains when we go to therapy. You know, one of mine was fat is not a feeling. So what are you Mm -hmm. really feeling? Right. So I'm not feeling, you know, it's not an emotion. Mm -hmm. So what emotion is the feeling of fat covering for me? Right. Okay. So then I would sort of have to work back and think, well, am I upset about this or this? Or is that thing still bugging me? Or You know, and Uh you kind of learn the new strategies in therapy to get to the actual problem.
0: Okay. Okay. If that makes sense. No, no, it, it makes perfect sense. Um... And again, I don't know if this is strictly related, but given that um, the the figures say that it, it, it mostly affects teenage girls, not to say it doesn't happen to anybody else, but teenage girls are, are sort of the most vulnerable, is it a good way to put it? How do you feel about, say, something like diet culture today? You know, like you see it an awful lot online. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. The, the demographics are changing actually. The, you know, the age group that in these most recent figures that seem to be most affected is in the 30s, oh, really? and and there was quite a high number actually from the 60 to 80 category that had been in terms of who had the numbers that had been diagnosed. And uh-huh. um, so, the demographics are definitely changing. Um, diet, yeah, dieting is everywhere,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it is absolutely everywhere. And I think this, I think the sad part is that. Dieting is actually a fattening behavior long term yeah. dieting is a fattening behavior so people that get caught up in the diet culture at a young age will be unless they are able to step right out of it will be stuck in a vicious circle mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. losing weight and gaining back more than they lost their okay. whole life yes you know some of some of my clients are out a weight now that they will never ever get away from. Mm-hmm. You know a, a high weight now that mm-hmm. they'll never get away from, and started off at a weight that was much less before they ever went on a diet. You know it's okay. it's it's a it's an industry, it's a multi billion pound industry that mm-hmm. makes money out of people's vulnerabilities. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot. Yeah, it's it's something I could rant for a very very long time. <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: sure. I'm sure. And so it, I just have one last question. Um, if if people are looking for help or information, where can we find? Uh, where can we find that out about yourself or um, Fight ED?
1: Um, probably through our website, which is www.fighted.org. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can contact us by phone. It's 07999
0: Okay. And, yep, yeah, that's all my questions. Thank you very much no for talking to me today. Thanks, that probably. was great. Thank you. So that was my chat with psychotherapist Debbie Hard. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. As discussed in the episode, I put all the relevant links and articles in the show notes. So if you need any further information, please do check those out. And uh, if you enjoyed this, we have a couple of other episodes as well. Just uh, like and subscribe. Search for Know You Better on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. You'll find us pretty much anywhere. And uh, while you're there, why not leave us a wee five-star review? And uh, until next time, I...